0: And at this time, church, you can feel free to bring your children back to Children's Church. Well, as you might have noticed this morning, we have a very special guest joining us today, a man by the name of Dan Allen. Dan is currently the director of both 800 Follow Me and Joy in Jesus Ministries, which he will share a bit more about this morning during his sermon. However, Dan, he possesses 43 years of full-time ministry experience. He is a graduate of Liberty University, Biblical Seminary, and has an honorary doctorate from Lancaster Bible College. Dan has pastored two churches the longest being at our Bible Fellowship Church in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and for over 23 years at this church. Dan was involved in not only the shepherding and the growing of the church, but reaching out to the community via radio, on WDAC, and on television, on programs like Public Pulpit and The Bottom Line. And furthermore, church, Dan's dad actually pastored here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church of York in the early to mid-60s, and his stepfather pastored here as well. Therefore, as Dan puts it, I truly am a son of this church. For I was visiting with one of our senior saints here church, Dolores, who is 93 years of age, and when I told her that Dan Allen would be preaching here, she smiled and told me about the time she taught him in Sunday school and how his father, the pastor here, always said to her, Don't treat him any different. To which Dolores made clear, She did not. I said, This time, church, let's welcome our brother in Christ, Dan Allen, this morning to the pulpit.
1: Well, it's a real delight and joy for me to be back with you. Um, It's been, I think I was last here in 2010, maybe 2011. So it's been a while, and you've done a beautiful job with this facility. Wow. Um, I was just thrilled to be able to walk around for just a little bit beforehand to see everything, and uh, not everything, but some of the things, and uh, it just looks great. And that, uh, the video of the Easter egg thing, I saw that on Facebook uh, earlier, and that looked like that was a lot of fun, and that was fantastic. So um, we're excited with what you're doing here, with what the pastor is doing, and uh, just glad to be back with you today. Um, we direct two ministries, and uh, as mentioned, 800 Follow Me is an evangelism ministry and it, uh, we developed a program called the Nathaniel Project, which is a two-month Church of Angelism program for everybody in the church. And uh, it shares with us the fact that everyone has a Nathaniel, uh, which comes from John chapter 1. Philip met Jesus. He was so impressed, who wouldn't be, that he had to go bring his friend to Jesus. And his friend's name was... Yeah, listen, if you reply quicker, we'll get out of here quicker. So (laughs) his his friend's name was Nathaniel. All right. And we believe that every Christian has someone they need to bring to Jesus. So every Christian has a Nathaniel. And for that two months, you pray for your Nathaniel, you start to witness to your Nathaniel. And the, the program is for everybody in the church. You know, kids have Nathaniels too. One of our test churches uh, had four children come to know the Lord uh, through the Nathaniel Project. So um, I would love for your church to take a look at that, and uh, please pray for us as other churches are doing it. Our Hatfield Church finished up in February, and our church in in Brick, New Jersey, is going to start in September. And uh, we'd love for your church to get involved as well. And then Joy in Jesus Ministries is the other ministry, and uh, it's more um, media and mentoring ministry. Um, we've been not only on WDAC for a lot of years, uh, but other radio stations as well across the country. We do minute spots, um, and perhaps you've heard it there. Uh, we're right now on a network down in the south, the, the Joy Network, uh, which has thirty different radio stations and. Georgia, North Carolina, North and South Carolina, um, Alabama, uh, Florida, and uh, we're just happy to be able to do that. But this part of the ministry tends to be more mentoring as well, and we're working with pastors not only in the United States, uh, but also overseas. And uh, in India, Nepal, and uh, Ghana, West Africa, have been the areas of our focus, and we'll talk perhaps a little bit more about that. But Let me tell you about one of the things that we've been doing, and and that is helping to build churches. I want to talk to you about the stick church, and uh, there it is. Um, I cannot imagine worshiping God in the mountains of Nepal in a church like that, especially when it gets cold. Um, It took us a few years, but thanks to various ones, the church uh, was being built the last few months. Fortunately, um, it's been made easier to build the church because when we first talked about it, I was told that it was a seven or eight-hour drive and then a three-hour hike. And the guy that was uh, prompting me to go said, "I think you should go." And I said, "Look at me. Uh, you think I could handle something like that?" And he said, "Okay, maybe not." Uh, but now they have a road up to the village, and uh, so they were able to take all of the uh, the stuff up there. And that um, one of the photos there is uh, from March. Um, I'm not sure where we're at, babe. Uh, my wife is on the. Uh, is it working? It's not working. All right. Carter's going to get back there and help her. Um, we built on the back end of the church um, some uh, a, a a house uh, for it. Okay, we are way behind on that. There we go. That's the building of it, and. Um, it's a it's a two room place for the pastor and for his uh, his family and that's all they need. I understand your pastor lived in a one room place, so they can they can handle two rooms, and um, we are happy to announce that that's uh, that would be the the area for the parsonage. Okay, go to the next one. We're happy to announce the church is now built, and it had its dedication service. Um, there it is dedication service uh, beginning of this month. Um, so we're, we're thrilled that it was completed. We thank the Lord for the various donations that were, that were given uh, in order to be able to do it. Uh, it costs about $10,000 to build a church over there, and uh, including all the work that goes into it, and uh, we're happy that uh, all that has happened. Um, and right now, Uh, We have three other churches that, uh, go to the next one there, That in India, that are being built. In fact, the the first church, uh, yeah, go to the next one. Okay, there we go. Now we're up to speed. Um, This particular church uh, is now finished. That was a picture that I got recently, not that recently, but uh, they're dedicating it this week. And then there are two other churches that are uh, being built and will be dedicated both on May 10th. Um, So we're excited, obviously, about that. Um, They do most of the work themselves and uh, the church itself is required to purchase the land. And then we help them with the supplies. Um, Now we've got another church that we're gonna start working on in Nepal. Uh, I call it the, uh, the mud church. Go to the next slide there if we can. And keep going. You know, it worked ahead of time. I'm not sure why it's not that now. But there's the mud church. It was made out of mud and stone, and it's falling apart. It needs to be replaced, and we're trusting that the Lord will provide the finance to do it. We've had, um, I think, we've built now about 13 churches uh, over in South um, South Asia. So. Um, you can see this one here is needing to be repaired, and then to the next slide, and uh, that's the group of uh, folks from that church. So we hope to help, hope to help them. And here's probably the coolest or coldest baptism I've ever seen, picture-wise. Um, what's kind of unique about this is uh, go to the next one as well. Uh, yeah, you can either be immersed or poured. Uh, so you kind of get them both uh, going at you there. And, uh, and so that works really well. And then there are some prayer requests for us. As you can see, uh, there it is on the next slide. And um, I've been diagnosed with some cancer issues, so I'd appreciate your prayers for that. And uh, you'll see those requests. And all of that is, in, um, is also in the sermon notes, Um, which we put into your bulletin today. It looks like this. And um, the prayer requests are in there. There's an article in there if you're bored listening to me. On the back, it explains our ministries. Uh, We're trying to get rid of our um, end-of-the-year newsletter. So that's in there. There's a calendar in there. And if you fill out the outline and and give that to Ricardo, he'll give you keys to a brand-new car. So... (laughs) We're, we're very excited with what, uh, with, what he's, with what he's going to do. The cars are now arriving in the, uh, in the place. Okay. I've never been much of a runner. Uh, in fact, if you ever see me running, stop to help. Someone or something is chasing me. There it is. And you know why runners jog early in the morning. Uh, they must finish before their brains figure out what they're doing. All right? And that's why it's an early morning run. The verse that keeps me from running comes from Proverbs 28.1. The wicked run when no one is chasing them. That's from the Good News translation. I'm not sure how good news that is, but I think I finally found a marathon that I would enjoy. And uh, you know, there's some pretty serious races out there. You've got races up steep mountains. You've got races across the country. There's the double Ironman distance race, which involves a 4.8-mile swim, then a 224 mile bike ride followed by a 52 mile run. That's not the one. And one race is 3,100 miles long, but runners are running around one block in Queens, New York. And uh, they have to do 5,649 laps and they have 52 days to complete it. That's not the race either that I'm interested in. If I ever decide to do a race, I think it would be the four mile run in Raleigh, North Carolina. You run two miles, And then you have to eat a dozen donuts from Krispy Kreme, um, which I, that part of it would be no problem at all, and uh, after which then you complete the race, it's called the Krispy Kreme Challenge. Uh, Go to that last slide there for that, and um, we should, uh, yeah, there it is, okay. Okay. So we all know uh, what races are, and uh, so did the people during the days of the New Testament. Go ahead to the next slide there. Um, we're, uh, we're just kind of running behind here. So um, <clears throat> we all know what races are, and people in the New Testament knew what they are as well. In fact, the Apostle Paul used it various times as a metaphor or a figure of speech. He used such phrases as all runners run. But only one receives the prize, run so that you may obtain, 1 Corinthians 9.24. And then Galatians 5.7, you were running well, who hindered you, and Philippians 2.16, we do not run in vain. And uh, I want to follow through with that with a running theme today, and so I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Now, let me uh, send a note to the back there. If, if that's going to be a problem, Bonnie, if that's going to be a problem, then just forget it. We don't need to have the slides anymore, okay? So it's up to you guys. All right. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily controls us um, and hinders us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostilities against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted." The race metaphor uh, is used here, and um, you'll see that there's, there's three words that, that kind of uh, connect, or uh, three words that, that are repeated or a derivative of, those, of the word, and that's the word endure. Verse 1, run with endurance. Verse 2, Christ endured the cross. Verse 3, Christ endured hostilities from sinners. And the title of my message is Run the Race Even in Tough Times. Why endure? Well, first, we, we are in this for the long haul. This is not a sprint. It is a marathon. Endurance is a steady determination to keep going. It means continuing even when everything in you wants to slow down or, or to give up. This is the race of the Christian life. And um, it, it's our life from the moment we receive the gift that, that God offered to us, the gift of eternal life. And the end of the race, the finish line, is when we reach glory, when we get to heaven. Unfortunately, with too many churchgoers, there is a lack of desire to succeed and win. They are content simply to be saved and way to go to heaven. They may look like Christians, but as someone said, they are a luxury car with no engine. I question if these folks are truly followers of Christ, and uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5 needs to be done on a continual basis, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, it says. So how do we endure? How do we build up endurance for the long haul? Well, what does a marathon runner do? They don't start running 26.2 miles the first day out. Uh, rather, it's .2 miles, and then maybe a mile, and then two. And training is the key for runners, and so it is for us as well. Our training is a daily Um, daily involvement in spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible and memorizing and meditating upon it. It's praying on a daily basis more than just at mealtime, and it's worshiping together more than just once or twice a month. Our training involves being active using our spiritual gifts and serving God. These things and more build that endurance. So in this process, we are to endure. And then endurance helps us not become weary and faint-hearted, it says in, in verse 3. We know what it's like to uh, become weary. It's more than just being tired, which a good nap or night's sleep will cure. Weariness is of the heart and the mind and the spirit. We've given out so much that we just need a break, or, or the battle has been so long and hard it's, it's produced weary and depressed soldiers to be faint-hearted means we, we are now timid, no, no longer as sharp or prepared as we should be. The command, be ready to make a defense in season and out of season, uh, we're definitely out of season, and, and we're not ready, we're not willing, we're not able to share our faith because of it. Does this happen today? Well, sure it does. Sometimes it can be tragic. Jared Wilson, an associate pastor at a Church in California, who was the founder of a mental advocacy health group, uh, took to Twitter and he wrote, quote, loving Jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts, depression, or PTSD. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure anxiety, but that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't offer us companionship and comfort. He always, all caps, does that. That night, September 9th, 2019, Wilson, 30, killed himself. He had a wife and two children. I mentioned this to our counseling son, who I figured would chalk it up to mental illness. He said, oh no, Dad, Uh, that's spiritual warfare for sure. That would certainly come out of being weary and faint-hearted to the extreme, to the max, um, rare demonstration of it. One commentator wrote, for the most part, weary Christians are not going to do anything dramatic. Uh, they're not planning to join a coven of witches. They are write a track on the satisfaction of atheism or establish a new and less demanding religion. Uh, they're not going to go away mad. They're just going to go away. And we've seen that within the church where somebody just kind of slides out the side door and uh, never to return. As pastors and Christian leaders, uh, we we need to help folks get through this, and, and I think our passage does this. It helps us endure. In fact, how are we to endure? Well, he says first of all, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, he's not sp- speaking about physical weight, although that's not a bad idea. Joggers might carry weights when they run to build up extra muscles, but you don't see him carrying a uh, a box of books or lumber or a washing machine. I mean they don't want that stuff weighing them down. In fact, most runners wear skimpy clothing so that they they do not have any extra weight holding them back. One of our pastors uh, who's now pastoring in Texas no longer with the Bible Fellowship Church, when he was working as an editor for Moody Press, he used to run marathons in Chicago. He noted that often the Windy City was cold when the race started. So the runners were bundled up, but as folks ran, they would start discarding the extra clothes that that they had. The mittens, the hats, the scarves, the sweatshirts uh, would all be seen along the road. It was extra weight uh, now, and it wasn't needed. Incidentally, at the New York City Marathon, it takes at least 200 volunteers all day to collect the discarded clothing in 23 trucks to crawl away. It all goes to goodwill, which is good. So what type of weight might he be speaking about? He doesn't say, but we can make some inferences. He's writing to a predominantly Christian Jewish audience, and uh, a weight that would definitely hold them back would be the legalism and rules of Judaism that, uh, that they continued to follow. Hard to get rid of the rituals and traditions that you've been doing all your life, some of which might become stumbling blocks to weaker Christians. It may not just impede your race, it may impede theirs as well. Almost 80% of the population in India are Hindus, and Hindus have festivals all the time, it seems. They actually have 10 different major ones, but most Christians come out of Hinduism and find it difficult to break away from the festivals, despite the fact that these festivals are worshipping other gods. They all are. Hard to make that break. Then again, what might be impeding them in the race are good things that are diverting their attention to what is more important. Family is important, but it can be a weight if it comes before our love and service to God. Jobs are needed to pay the bills, but when they zap our energy or dampen our enthusiasm for the things of God, maybe it has become a weight. Sports? Great for kids, but when it becomes more important than church— you have to wonder. Uh, we came around the corner up here past the Central High School, which when I was here and the church was on North Duke Street, um, Central High School was there. You old-time York folks remember that. Well, now it's out here, and when we went beyond there, we saw a lot of cars parked, and I thought, oh, cool, there must be a church right there. No, uh, it's the sports programs. And um, someone wrote an article entitled When Ball Becomes Bail. Is your kid's sports involvement a family idol? I thought that was an excellent title and a good article. Or one commentator noted, it might not be this at all, but rather other Christians that weigh us down. Often the workers in the church have to keep jumping over or running around the non-workers. Not only should we lay aside every weight, but also lay aside sin which clings so closely, it says. Again, not specific as to what the sin is. If, however, he's still thinking about what he wrote in the last chapter, the faith chapter, as so uh, is mentioned, perhaps he's referencing the the opposite of that, unbelief, which is unbelief. Nothing which will hold you back as unbelief does. Unbelief exposes us to all sorts of temptation. It gives Advantage to all disheartening and weakening and discouraging consideration to an effect apart from God—not really depart from Him, but but in practicality, it seems. But it could also be sins that are particular to us that cling to us, and whatever that sin is, you know what that is, um, and that could be holding you back in this race. Think of a runner wearing a bathrobe for the the race as they're. Uh, as they're trying to run, it gets tangled up within their, within their legs, making it extremely difficult for them to run. Um, endurance requires getting rid of the weights and sins that hold us back. The second way we endure is looking at three things. Look at the cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Taken at face value without any context, we might consider the witnesses to be those around us, or perhaps those who have gone on before us and are now in heaven. Have you ever wondered if your friends or family members who are in heaven can see you now, Uh, if they're able to look down? I, I did some crowdsourcing with my friends on Facebook, and I would love to be your friend on Facebook. And a majority said, no, um, they're too busy worshiping God or enthralled with his glory. The, the question was, uh, can our friends see us now from heaven? Several answered in the affirmative with one suggesting they're cheering us on. One, one commented, uh, one gal commented, quote, I think God can certainly give them happy glimpses if he wills us. Mostly, I think we overemphasize the importance of things going on here on earth to those with Jesus once they get to heaven. I have some really good Facebook friends, and that was an excellent response. John Pfeiffer kind of feels they can, despite the fact that nowhere in Scripture does it say they can, if they can, he was sure that they see it not with their old imperfect eyes or understand it with their old imperfect minds or access it with their old imperfect hearts, rather... They have been perfected in heaven, Hebrews 12:23. This verse is not a proof text for our loved ones who have passed watching us in heaven. Since the verse starts out with "Therefore," or "Wherefore," uh, if you're using the King James version, um, we have to assume this is a follow-up from chapter 11. And we, we all know that that is the Hall of Faith chapter. Uh, this is a list of some of the great leaders of faith who went through all sorts of challenges yet did not waver in their faith. Abraham, Enoch, um, Abel, Sarah, Moses, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel, just to mention a few are mentioned here. And they finished their course, they completed the race. In verses 33 through 38, as your pastor read for us, it doesn't mention names, but it records some of what they faced. Um, They may have suffered greatly, but kept it together as they stood strong for their Savior. Definitely a cloud, or crowd, I tend to say, of witnesses. So you come to our chapter and you wonder, do these witnesses see us, and, and what are they doing? Are they in a heavenly grandstand watching us? Are there fantasy leagues up in heaven? Um, I've got Pastor Wes. I've got Pastor Dan. Well, I would lose for sure. Um, Some of you remember listening on the radio to old-time preacher J. Vernon McGee. To this he said, I personally couldn't think of anything more boring for them than to watch us run the Christian race down here, especially the way some of us are running it. Uh, True point. John MacArthur noted to have a whole gallery of such people, um, great people, looking down on us would not motivate us but paralyze us. And you know how paralyzed you get if you have to speak in front of people. If we, your pastor invited you up here right now and said, speak to the folks, or I can't finish my sermon and since it's all typed out here, you could read it, well, you would be Paralyzed. When I go to South Asia, I like to, to shop for pearls. Um, the uh, city of Hyderabad, where I often minister, is noted as the pearl capital of the world. Despite being 700 miles from the nearest ocean, they have artisans who are able to string the fresh and saltwater pearls, and they've been doing it for centuries. I googled the, the, 10, the top pearl shops in Hyderabad, figuring I'd get a top 10. Well, it gave me a top 100. Um, There are pearl shops everywhere, it seems. And there's a photo on the wall that I didn't ever want to see. uh, It'll come in just a second here. It's of the last owner who became a friend, so to speak. Uh, He passed away a couple years ago, and there he is. But there are other photos that are on the the top of the wall um, as well. And uh, this shop has been owned by one family, opened in 1936, and has gone through four or five generations. These men are like witnesses to what is going on. No, they no longer see the activity, but they bear witness of their own faithfulness in running the business. If they could do it, so can you do it. So it is with the witnesses to which the writer of Hebrews is referring. Each one was in the race. Each one had simply taken God at his word and obeyed his command. None of them were perfect, but each one completed the course. They finished the race with excellence. If they could do it, so can we do it. So we've got these witnesses over here, and we'll use those three um, window-like things to, to be our witnesses, our cloud of witnesses, or crowd, I may say that instead. The second thing to look at is the cross of Christ. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's think about the cross for a moment. One of the most brutal ways to die during Good Friday, during that week, uh, you talked about this type of thing. It's not quick like a firing squad, uh, hanging or or having your head chopped off, horrible as they may be. Um, Crucifixion was hours, relentless hours, sometimes days of agony as one fought for every breath. Roman philosopher and statesman Cicero condemned it and said, quote, to bind a Roman citizen is a crime, to flog him is an abomination, to kill him is almost an act of murder, to crucify him defies description. He concluded, there is no fitting word to describe this horrible death. Roman citizens were exempt, except in extreme cases of treason, not so with the conquered Jews and other people that were conquered, Thousands of Jews were crucified by the Romans. It is believed that in 4 B.C., 2,000 Jews were crucified. Jesus endured the cross. And at the same time, Jesus despised the shame. That that shows you he wasn't happy about this. Um, Shame is an experience, a human emotion connected to public exposure. Often a hood is given to a person before they are put to death to preserve some small hold on human dignity. Not Jesus. Naked, exposed, hearing the insults from bystanders, religious leaders, even criminals. It was a shameless act. Jesus was not indifferent to the disgrace of the cross, but he faced it, all its tragedy and shame, without losing his loyalty to God. Drop down to verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostilities. I thought it was interesting that he labeled them sinners. Mark does the same thing in Mark 14, 41, betrayed into the hand of sinners. You would think it would go without saying that they were sinners. But none of them thought they were sinners. Uh, They thought they were doing the will of God. They obviously were not. But go back to the middle of verse 2 where it says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Joy? This was joy? We used to sing a song, an Isaac Watts song, recomposed and added to by Ralph Hudson. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Do you remember that song? Some of you do. Uh, You know when we sing that, and now I'm happy all the day, I change the words. And now I am happy some of the days, and now I haven't been happy for a month. You know, I just change it. I don't care what other people think. And, And happiness and joy sometimes can be two different things. Happiness often is more self-centered, seeking self-pleasure. It may dwell on materialistic or worldly pleasures. Happiness isn't bad, but joy often goes deeper. It's it's not always about oneself, but often is thinking of others and the happiness that might bring to them. Joy can be more soul-satisfying, emotionally well-being. And certainly, Jesus was thinking of fulfilling God's purpose in salvation and providing a way for us to get to heaven. That was joyful. Um, We sing that one song about the rose trampling down, and when he was on the cross, uh, above all, he thought of me. I changed the words there as well. Uh, Above all, he thought of God. Uh, above other things that are happening, maybe he thought of me, but he was thinking of God when he was doing this, as he was fulfilling what God wanted to do. So it, it was a joyful thing. And representing the cross is going to be the window behind me, okay? And I don't know if there ever was a cross in there, but I could see it when I was sitting there. And, um, and so that's the cross. So you've got the, the cloud uh, or crowd of witnesses and you've got the cross. And then the third thing to look at is Christ now. Verse 2, he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. I prefer the King James. That's the way I memorized it initially. Author and finisher of our faith. In other words, he created the concept of faith. And his, his death and resurrection completed it. Uh, so he's the author and the finisher of it. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished his course. He completed the task. And now he is in heaven with his Father right where he should be, sitting at his right hand. Jesus is exalted because he brought glory to God through his life and death. The prize Christians are to run for is not heaven. Uh, you're not running for heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're already going to heaven. We, we run for the same prize that Jesus ran for. And, and we achieve it in the same way he did. We run for the joy of exaltation God promises will be ours if we glorify him on earth as his son did. We glorify God by allowing his attributes to shine through us and by obeying his will in everything we do. So let's apply this now, all right? Application here. And, and how does this work? Well, let me, let me look at some practical scenarios for you. First of all, Uh, pressure from society. During the the last primary presidential election, one of the candidates made it quite clear that if elected and if Orthodox Christians continue their opposition to same-sex marriage, their religious institutions should lose or could lose their tax-exempt status. And you say, well, that's not so bad. Oh, not so fast. According to one study, one in five congregations suffer serious financial difficulties, and that was before the pandemic. Uh, it's worse now. Adding the burden of taxation would swiftly put them under. Separation of church and state could be compromised if this happened. The state would now have a say and religious freedom could be removed. Joe Carter for the Gospel Coalition wrote, quote, what is significant about this presidential candidate's statement is not the novelty of the, of, of the idea, but that his party no longer believes it will be punished for being open about how LGBTQ plus issues trump religious liberties. A senior writer for National Review, David French, noted that this attacks on our tax-exempt status is an attack on our First Amendment rights, end of quote. The times, they are a-changing, and it is coming at breakneck speed. We may lose our liberties. What are we supposed to do if we lose our liberties as Christians? Well, look to the cloud of witnesses. Look what they did. They survived. Look to the cross of Christ uh, where he was crucified and, and, he, and he died, and yet He, for the joy that filled him when he did it. And, and then look to Christ as well, now seated at the right hand of the Father. But these may not be pressures we face now. What we face personally is the old... Everyone is doing it, which is deluding uh, the Christians and the Christian church. So what should we do when pressures from society mount? Look to the cloud. Look to these people who survived in chapter 11. Look to the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. And then look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Secondly, proclaiming Christ. We've been commissioned to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's getting harder and harder from a legal standpoint, especially in certain areas. Four years ago, the country of Nepal criminalized Christian conversion and evangelism by law. You cannot share your faith, and the threatens would-be lawbreakers with fines of more than $700 and up to five years in prison. Do you know where the fastest-growing church in the world is? Nepal, all right? Nepal. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not buying into it, but that's what the government has said. Our eyes have uh, been up to Canada and, uh, and the problems that they are having up there and uh, with this whole thing is, is also a serious thing to, to consider. Uh, willfully promoting hate against any identifiable group by making statements other than in private conversation, Um, maximum penalty of up to two years. But you know proclaiming Christ means one has to talk about sin and sinners which could fall under this. In Finland, a 27-year member of the Finnish parliament was fighting against charges that she was promoting hate speech. She faced three charges of ethnic agitation for a 2004 pamphlet, for taking part in a discussion on a radio show in 2019 and most recently for tweeting a picture of her Bible, when the charges were announced, Finland's state prosecutor said the politicians' comments were made to cause intolerance, contempt, hatred towards homosexuals. The Finnish prosecutor's um, prosecution a few weeks ago stated that the Bible should not overrule Finnish law, and that the use of the word "sin could be harmful. This lady said if she was convicted, it would be forbidden to agree with the Bible, adding that the prosecutor compared the Bible to Mein Kump, written by Adolf Hitler. You are allowed, she said, in your mind to agree with the Bible, but you can't state it publicly. Well, the world started praying for this, and April 1st, 2022, a district court cleared her of all wrongdoing, but the verdict could be appealed to a higher court, and this is just starting to happen all over the place. In the U.S., we have free speech, But when might we lose that? David French again warned religious Americans are the canary in the coal mine of the First Amendment. They are right to think that their freedom is under fire. Might there be a time in which it is illegal to proclaim Christ? Yes, and if it is time and when it does happen, what are we to do? Proclaim Christ anyway. Look at the cloud. What did they do? Look at the cross. And then look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy um, despised the shame, but he endured the cross. But even without government intrusion, Christians are running scared. I heard a stat in July 2020. I can't verify where it came from, but it goes 62% of Christians fear sharing their faith. Um, You can add some stats to that. Uh, 50% of Christians aren't praying for anyone. Over 80% of Christians will never share their faith with anyone. And over 93% of Christians will never lead someone to Christ. This is tragic. That's why our church is needing a Nathaniel Project and other projects to encourage them in this. But why do they have fear? And if you have fear in sharing your faith, what should you do to conquer it? Well, look to the cloud. Look at these people. They feared too. But they were able to do it. Look to the cross. Christ, who died for us, and look to Jesus now where he is. Thirdly, persecution. I have a story I want to tell you. It's going to take me a little bit. I'm sorry. But when I was uh, in India a couple times ago in the city of Agra where the Taj Mahal is located, we were meeting with a bunch of pastors and um, teaching them. And at lunchtime, after lunch, I got up there and I was setting my stuff up on the table and I had my PowerPoint ready to go. And my handler came in and said, um, uh, turn that off. Uh, we've got a problem. We've got some people from the media here uh, who want access to us. And I've been in the media all my ministry. So I thought, great, bring them in. I'll talk to them. I'd be happy to do so. He said, oh, no, uh, you get your name in the paper. They will get rid of your, um, your visa and you'll no longer be able to stay in India. So I thought, okay. Um, well, they were scurrying around a little bit. And, and then he came back to me and he said, get off the stage. And I did, and I sat back down, and the books that we had brought uh, for the guys, uh, they handed out, uh, they locked the doors on the inside, and uh, then they started sending the guys two by two. Now, I was a little, a little concerned because um, we were on the second floor, and I remember that story of the Apostle Paul, when he had to get out of the one city, uh, they put him in a basket and they put him over the wall to get him down. And I'm thinking, one, is there a basket large enough for me to get in, and two, are there enough Indians to hold the ropes of this thing so that I don't go crashing down? Well, they dispersed in twos, they went home, seminar was over, uh, my handler said, follow me, and then he would say, stop, and he would look around the corner, and then we would go and stop and so forth. Uh, Took me to a room, he turned the light out, and, uh, and then... Then he came and got me, and same thing, to get out of the building, got in the car, and I'm reaching for my sunglasses and my, my book bag, uh, computer bag, and he said, get in the car. So I got in, and we went out a side gate, and, and that was it. I didn't find out till the next day uh, what was happening, and it was in the news. Um, these two guys were the front for a whole bunch of thugs were at the, who were at the gate trying to get on the compound. It was a Catholic compound that we were staying on, cathedral, and it was one of their outbuildings, uh, but gated in there, and uh, and there was a security guard at the gate. He wasn't opening the door for these guys, and um, and so all of that to say this, that they went to a hotel where there was another group of religious leaders who were meeting, and they beat up those religious leaders. Now, had they come into our meeting, I have the strength of ten men, um, ten very small men, think plastic army men, but um, but they beat up these guys. Seven of them were arrested, and you're thinking, well, that's good. Oh, no, not the guys, the thugs, but seven of the pastors were arrested because they were proselytizing. Um, anytime you're talking about Jesus in a certain circumference of where there is a temple, you are then considering proselytizing people. So their goal was to come in and, uh, and do us harm. God protected us. And I'll tell you why in, in such a graphic way. You had the gates in the front and security guard and then walls, big walls with uh, with stuff on top. Nobody's going to go off for that. And then down the side, they have the same thing. But the back is wide open. Um, it's a cathedral. They want people to be able to come. And they could have gone right through the back, but they didn't know that. See, God was there helping us. Well, Persecution rules in in many countries. Uh, India is just one of them. Uh, The Hindu radicals believe they can attack Christians with no consequences. And um, January 9, 2019, headline, Hindus tore down a church building in the state that I often minister in Andhra Pradesh because it was built on the west side of a village which they claim violated Hindu principles of placement and positioning. One of my ministry associates told me about a pastor who was beaten at his church, stripped of his clothing, and made to run naked through the village. Makes my little episode minuscule in comparison. Hindus have a statement: Hindustan is for Hindus. Pakistan is for Muslims. They would like all the Muslims to leave. Karubistan is for Christians. And you're saying, where's Karubistan? Well, don't look on it for a ma- on a map. It means graveyard. And, and you thought the, the Hindus were the people that sat there with their legs folded and, uh, and hummed, uh, not the radicals. And, and so when, when they, or many others throughout this dangerous world, are going uh, through persecution, our Christian brothers and sisters over there, what are they to do? Well, according to the writer of Hebrews, it's the cloud of witnesses. Look at them, they manage, look at the cross, and then look at Christ now. How about persecution for us? Are we facing any? Well, it's muted and minuscule compared to what other Christians are facing. Persecution will come our way. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you, Luke 15, 20. So when that persecution comes, what are we to do? You got it. The cloud, the cross, and Christ. Personal situations. We're all dealing with various struggles. COVID, right? Perhaps a job loss, maybe it was increasing financial challenges that you're having a hard time working your way out of. Maybe it's marital problems, a wayward child, maybe it's an illness. Maybe you've been diagnosed with the cancer. Outcome is bleak? Perhaps it's the untimely death of a child, a parent, a loved one. What are we to do? I'll tell you what you're not to do. Nowhere in this passage or anywhere in the scriptures does it suggest that we are to throw in the towel quit and stop living the Christian life. Nowhere. Instead, the writer of Hebrews said, look to the cloud of witnesses. They survived. Look to Christ on the cross, and then look to Christ where he is now. Marathons are difficult enough, but there are races which are all the rage right now. They're called mud runs or mud races, It's a race for for sure, but it involves obstacles such as warped walls and cargo nets and tires, slides, mud pits, etc., etc. The race in which we are involved is much worse. We we are not running um, against just flesh and blood and mud, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Ephesians six twelve. Fortunately. We have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us, and to help us on the way are the witnesses. And Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I have no idea what you're going through this morning. might be something earth-shattering to you and to your family. How do we run this waste? Witnesses. The Lord Jesus the cloud, the cross, and Christ. Father, I pray that when these things come our way, which they will, if we are following you as we should, I pray that we'll be able to remember what the writer of Hebrews suggested, very good suggestions, looking at that cloud of witnesses, the crowd of witnesses, looking, looking at the cross that Jesus endured and finally, looking at Christ now and where he is seated. May, may that be an encouragement to us and give us the strength to be able to make it through the challenges uh, that we are either going through now or that we will go through. And Lord, if there's somebody here or watching by way of uh, tape on Facebook and doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, um, they're not going to have your help ever until they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it would be our prayer that you would draw them to yourself so that today would be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.